Hello and welcome. This is Michael Dugan with The Change Code. In the last podcast, I said that we would talk more about the brain. And it's so interesting to me. I say to people, how many of you have trouble sleeping at night even though you're physically exhausted? You're dead tired, physically exhausted, and when you go to bed at night, you can't fall asleep. And probably 90% of the people, maybe even 95, raise their hands and say, that's me. And I say to them, well, what that tells me is that you haven't learned to shut your brain off yet and that your brain is probably running you and you're not running your brain. And in the last episode, we talked about awareness. We talked about kicking ass in the game of life and awareness equals understanding. And the more aware you are, the more you understand. And it's very interesting to me that a lot of people don't understand their brain and their brain is very probably running them and they're not running their brain. And when I said awareness equals understanding, and what's the name of this podcast? That would be the change code. And awareness is the first key to change. If you're not aware of something, you can't change it. And when I meet different managers or different people, whatever whatever their vocation is or their level of expertise, I might ask them, I'm curious, what is your weakest link in communication? What is your weakest link in sales? What is your weakest link as a leader? And I'll watch them. And I'll see how quickly they deduce an answer. And if the answer is instantaneous, they're probably aware of it. But if they're sitting there and they go into thought, it shows me that they're not aware of it, at least not at the top of their mind. And if you're not aware of what your weakest link is, you can't change it because it's not even a consideration. It's not even in your consciousness. And if awareness is the first key to change, And if we are living in this unprecedented time of change, awareness is a critical, critical skill to develop to be able to change because awareness is the first key to change. And when I ask the people that I train, how many of you know what your brain's primary purpose is? Very few of them know what the brain's primary purpose is and and either they're afraid to answer or they don't want to answer but the brain's primary purpose will let me ask you now if you're a listener and you've been to my class before you probably know the answer but what is your brain's primary purpose and that would be to protect you or to keep you alive So your brain's number one job is to keep you alive, and some people would call that the reptilian brain or the amygdala, and that would be the primary filter for how we view our reality. Imagine that you had a bodyguard, and if you had a bodyguard, would they always be on the lookout for what was right or what was wrong? Probably what was wrong. You could change that for a bouncer in a bar. Are they looking for what's right or what's wrong? Looking for what's wrong. And your amygdala is always looking for what's wrong. 
And so imagine that you had 100, 100 fantastic experiences today and one bad experience. Before you went to bed, what are you going to probably think about? And it will probably be that bad experience because your brain's number one job is to keep you alive and your brain wants to figure out how to deal with that one bad experience because tomorrow you might have to face it again. And so the brain has a tendency to look for what's wrong over what's right. Let me say that another way. Your brain is more important for your brain to ponder what's wrong than what's right because what's right is not going to be a challenge to your survival but what's wrong may very well be a challenge to your survival. And then with my child, imagine if you will that I held both of my arms out perfectly like they were a balanced scale and I had my palms upright and I said to my child, what if I put one good thing in my right hand, two, three, four, a hundred good things in my right hand and my right hand is down low now and my left hand is up high and say I put one bad thing in my left hand and I say to my child, what would happen to the scale? And my child said, well, the scale would stay down. And I said, well, you would think so, wouldn't you? But that one bad thing will drop like a rock and will throw those hundred good things away. And I call that the catapult. And your boss can do 100 good things for you, but they trigger you and they do one bad thing and we quickly dismiss those 100 good things and throw them away or that could be your mate or that could be your friend because the brain has a tendency to focus way more dramatically on what's wrong than than what's right. And collectively we do this as a species. That's where with the news, if it bleeds, it leads. Well, what does that mean? That means that they're going to throw their most dramatic things on the news because that's going to get the ratings and keep us going back to their station. And so the negative, as unfortunate as it is, when you come from a survival place of of staying alive, the negative is much more captivating as opposed to the positive for the sake of survival. Years ago, I was training a class and I met this guy and he said one of the most important things he learned in psychology and he went up to a whiteboard and he put three rectangles on the whiteboard and the first one he wrote 20 seconds and then the second one he wrote 20 minutes and then the third one he wrote forever. And he said sometimes we'll remember somebody's name for about 20 seconds But if I really put my attention on their name, I might keep it for 20 minutes. But if I'm driving down the road and the back of my car gets hit by a train, I'll remember it forever. And this is called the train wreck. And the brain will record, if you will, or tattoo, if you will, or brand, if you will, these post-traumatic stress situations to ensure that if we ever face it again, that we're going to have the ability to survive. And this is natural for the brain. You might have heard the term trauma bonding or drama bonding. And this is where people are coming together. 
and the people that are coming together in a traumatic incident, it, this traumatic incident will bond them because they have this high emotionally charged incident that, tra- that, that has the ability to bond these people together. Trauma bonding or, or even drama bonding, if you will. And so the brain, what it's going to do is going to dramatically, dramatically record these intense events. So if I ever go over a train track again, my brain is going to say, oh no, look both ways to ensure that we don't get in a train wreck again. So a train wreck is a metaphor that all human beings have train wrecks. We have macro train wrecks and micro train wrecks. And even for me, as lucky as I am to live in the U.S., a train wreck is relative. And we all have painful incidences where dogs die, people die, uh, we get broken up with, people get abused psychologically, physiologically, and there's just a lot of traumatic stuff that can happen to people, and these train wrecks have an effect on our perspective after we have the train wreck. I give an example in the lock, the key, and in the lock and the key, what happened is I'm I'm training right now and I'm sitting in a hotel room, so pardon the cars. And so when the kid hit me on the top of my head with the books, I was young, I got off the bus and I felt this jolt to my head. And I believe I was in kindergarten, I was in Seattle and this big kid, older kid than me, you know, he might've been in first grade, but I'm in kindergarten, once again, relative. And he looked very pleased with what he had done. And he had just hit me on the top of my head with these books. And so that was a train wreck for a little kindergartner. That was painful. So from that point forth, you know, I'm hyper aware of big kids and the big kids can be destructive to my neck, my spine, my head and my ego. And and so that would be a micro train wreck that occurred to me as a young little boy that could perhaps have an effect on my psychology and my perspective for the rest of my life. So train wrecks, all human beings have train wrecks, but then we also have badass moments, probably 30, 35 years ago, I hired a coach and the coach said, Michael, what is the most meaningful, powerful moment of your life so far? And it took me about a year to figure out what that was. And what it was, was this moment that I put down this dog and it was a love affair with a giant, the dog was half Great Pyrenees, half White Shepherd. And if you ever saw the movie, The Never Ending Story, she looked like Falcor. Her name was Casper. And about a 100-pound dog that was almost hyperallergen. It didn't really ever stink. It didn't shed. It was just this beautiful, beautiful dog. And when I put her down and she looked in my eyes and it took me so much courage to put her down because she had cancer, that was the most powerful moment of my life at that point. And I, I sometimes say because that's the real thing, you know. Anytime you can help a person or a creature die and be there with them to help them, bring them comfort at that moment. And But what they were teaching me is these moments in life have a power. And then I hired another coaching program and it said write down all your wins. So go to when you're in kindergarten and write down all your wins, first grade, what kind of wins did you have, second grade, third grade, fourth, and so on. And write down all of these moments where you did something that was noteworthy. Maybe you 
got 100% on the spelling test, maybe you got an A in a class, maybe you hit a grand slam against your friend like I did when I was young in baseball. And what you're doing is you're self-acknowledging, but whenever you think about a negatively charged past experience, it's going to pull that negative charge into your physiology in the moment. But whenever you pull a positively charged past experience, it's going to pull that positive charge into your physiology and psychology in the moment. And then when I, when I started selling years ago and you'd make a sale and people would go, bam, bam. And there, at that time, there was a foodie named M. Emerald, and I think he went, bam, bam. And I would talk to people about badass moments. And one day, this one person in my class said, BAM, badass moment stands for BAM. And so I coined badass moments. And these are these moments in life where we kick ass. These are these moments in life. I've been asking people about badass moments for over 15 years. And at this point, I've heard so many just absolutely extraordinary moments that people have had in their life and extraordinary situations of heroic deeds and just uh, sports accolades, uh, parenting accolades, overcoming obstacle accolades. And these moments are just magnificent. So when I ask people, what are one, two or three of your badass moments in your life? What they do is I, I let them think about it for two or three days and I have them share it with the class. And when they share it, as they're doing it, it changes the way they feel. And these badass moments are, are literally tools. These past memories are useful that you can use to empower yourself in these social situations. And a couple years ago, I heard, I read or listened to David Goggins' book. He's, he's this incredibly badass Navy SEAL. If you haven't checked him out, his book can't hurt me. And then his second book that I love just as much, if not more. And, and David Goggins, he calls badass moments cookies in the jar. And, and this is this gentleman that has overcome so many heroic feats. And, and he says, sometimes you just need to grab a cookie out of the jar when you're down. And, and they're the exact same thing as badass moments. These are these moments in our past that we can use to give us strength in the present moment. And these moments have a use. And so the opposite of a train wreck is a badass moment. And the opposite of a badass moment is a train wreck. Now, what we're talking about opposites. In the last podcast, I said awareness is understanding. And the opposite of awareness is what? Automation. So automated behavior is the opposite of being aware. So what happens is when we're automated, now the average human brain loses its attention six to 10 times per minute, six to 10 times per minute. The average human brain loses its attention. And that's because everything in this reality, this video game metaphorically is super saturated. And that's where my, my beautiful ex, uh, we'll call her C, you know, she's telling me she's listening to a book about how food, they put so much science into food and what they'll do is they'll hook the brain imagery up to a food and they'll they'll put the spices in it and they'll see the when the brain lights up. And once the brain lights up to the maximum ability, the food is super saturated with taste. And it tastes so dang good that we're going to go back and we're going to buy that food again. 
And so the better the food tastes, the more likely we are to buy it again. So because they can hook the brain imagery up to us while we eat the food, why wouldn't they use science to help us sell? Why wouldn't they spend all the money on science to help them sell their food? So when we eat like broccoli or Brussels sprouts or cauliflower next to processed food, it tastes so dull and so benign even though it might be more bioavailable because we're eating these supersaturated foods so much. And so supersaturation is a metaphor now. Remember in the last class I talked about metaphors, apples to oranges as metaphors. I talked about kicking ass and the game of life is a metaphor. And supersaturation is a metaphor for how much science we can put into everything. So let me ask you this. Do you think Netflix shows are super saturated? They're made so addictive that we continue watching them. How about Amazon Prime? How about apps? Do you think they're super saturated? Do you think they put any science into apps? How about algorithms? How about when you watch TikTok or YouTube or Facebook or or these feeds? They're all super saturated. So everything is vying for our attention. Food's vying for our attention. Drugs are vying for our attention. Uh, consumerism is vying for our attention, people are vying for our attention, our body is vying for our attention, our apps are vying for our attention. The average human being looks at their cell phone 200 times a day. They don't have impulse control. So our brain, we're constantly losing our attention. And so our brain gets triggered. I might drive down a road called Rose Street and then I think, hey, how's my friend Rose from from elementary school. Then I think about the time I was at the gym training with my friend Lindsay, and I'm thinking about Lindsay, then I'm thinking about the time that we ate Italian food. And I'm thinking, man, it's getting close to lunchtime. Maybe I should have some Italian. Maybe I should go call John. So in that example, I triggered myself from one thought to the next thought to the next thought to the next thought. And that's where the brain, we're in a thought tunnel, because when we're thinking, we're, we're always thinking about something from the past or we're thinking about something from the future and we're not in the present moment. And the present moment is something to be mastered, everybody. The present moment is where life exists. So this goes to where I talked about the young man and this guy's name was Brock and he told me he feared moose more than he was in Washington. I grew up in Alaska, not a moose up in Alaska. This guy's in Washington and he said he feared moose more than any other mammal on the planet earth. And he walked out of his apartment and he's texting on his phone and he's looking down texting and he said he walked right into a moose. And I said, well, Brock, you're in your little text tunnel and you couldn't see the mammal more you couldn't see the mammal. Your awareness was so low. Remember, situational awareness was so low that you didn't see the mammal that you feared more than any other mammal on the planet. So the metaphor is a text tunnel. What's the metaphor, everybody? A text tunnel. And a lot of people these days, they're looking at their phone texting. You go by and you see the kids getting ready for school. They're texting. You walk down a hallway and you see another person. They'll pull out their phone and they'll look down at it and pretend like they're texting because they don't want to make eye contact. So a lot of people, their face is in their phone and that's just natural. That's just where we're at. Text tunnel. Well, almost all human beings are in a thought tunnel. And almost all human beings are thinking nonstop from the moment they woke up until the moment they go to bed. 
So we have our autonomic nervous system and your lungs breathe automatically and your heart beats automatically and we think automatically. And so the, we just start thinking from the second we wake up until the second we go to bed. And then I threw on one of my metaphoric stats, stats in the last podcast that 90 to 95% of our thoughts are the same thoughts day after day after day after day. And that's where we have these neural pathways in our brain, these electrical um, chemical synapses that fire across and our brain follows the path of least resistance. So our brain follows those neural pathways and this forms our thinking patterns. And this is where years ago I created an acronym and it was a spinoff of something I learned in a seminar. But if I was to start crying right now, what comes out of my eyes? That's right, a tear. Or if I ripped a piece of paper, you might say a tear. T-E-A-R stands for thoughts create emotions and emotions create actions and actions create results. Well, if 90 to 95% of our thoughts are the same thoughts, those are gonna make the same emotions and that's what's gonna make the same actions and that's what's gonna make the same results and that's what's gonna make our lives automated and that's what's gonna make us predictable And when we're predictable, we're more robotic-like and we're not conscious. And when your brain is quiet, you're in the present moment. But when you're busy thinking, you're either in the past or the future. You're either ping-ponging back and forth from the past to the future, or some people are more future-orientated. Most people are probably more historically past-orientated. And you're not in the present moment. So the more masterful you are, my perspective of mastery, this is mastering the awareness. Awareness is understanding. We talked about frequency. The higher your frequency, the more aware you are. The more masterful you are, the more you can maintain presence in the present moment. And you're no longer in a text tunnel. You're no longer in a thought tunnel. Because while we exist, we're in the present moment, but most people are not in the present moment because they're thinking automatically and they're not necessarily conscious of what they're thinking about. And then another stat I heard is that 75% of our thoughts were negative, non-supportive thoughts. So most people's thoughts are negative. They have negative narration going in their brain and, and they're constantly focused on what's wrong with this person, place, or thing or this social situation. And these negative thoughts can create the negative emotions and the negative actions and the negative results. And so awareness is understanding and awareness is the first key to change. And so there's a Hebean law that says that nerve cells that fire together, wire together, and nerve cells that unfire together, unwire together, And this can be known as associative conditioning. Pavlov rang the bell and fed the dog, rang the bell and fed the dog, rang the bell and fed the dog, rang the bell and didn't feed the dog. And the dog salivated because the dog associated the bell with food. So if I watch TV every night at 10 and eat popcorn, watch TV at 10 and eat popcorn, and then go to my friend's house and watch TV, what do I want? popcorn because I associate food with popcorn. So what we do is we link things together. 
If I'm like right now, I'm in a city where I lived with my ex and I'm constantly being triggered based upon going through a fresh divorce. I'm constantly being triggered on these past experiences that we had, but I'm aware that I'm being triggered. So when you're aware that you're being triggered, it's a good thing. But whenever you get upset, you're triggered. What we're doing is we're re-stimulating a micro or a macro train wreck from your past. So whenever you're upset, there's something in reality that you're not accepting. And if you're not accepting it, now here's another opposite. Acceptance. What is the opposite of acceptance? That is resistance. And whatever you resist persists. So if you don't like a person, you're resisting it. If you don't like a social situation, you're resisting it. And whenever we're in resistance, our frequency gets twisted up. And what happens is we don't have as much energy available because now this this thing that we're resisting has real estate in our my mind. And this brings us to the saying where attention goes, energy flows. So say my boss triggers me. I'm not accepting what my boss did because I learned in my past that this was unacceptable. So I'm resisting it. And so now I'm resisting my boss and I'm at home with my family, but my boss is in my head. So I take my boss home with me and they're in my head and I'm giving my boss my attention and my energy. And so now I don't have energy for my family because I'm in my head because this negative situation is draining my energy. And we wonder why we feel drained. And so when we're busy with all of this, these things from our past, these past resentments that are draining our energy at a micro level and we wonder why we're exhausted but we can't sleep because we have all of these negative things that we haven't learned to let go of, draining us, vexing us, draining us, same thing, draining us, and we're exhausted. And so when you can evict your metaphoric boss out of your head, what you're doing is you're lightening the load. You're lightening the load. And what this does is this gives you more energy you have for your life, more energy for your frequency, for your vibe, for your level of awareness. And so these are some stats that we've had on thoughts. Now to go over some of the stats is number one, let's do a micro test. What is the brain's primary purpose? If you said survival or protection, good job. And so how long will you remember a train wreck? Forever, because it gets tattooed or it gets, if you will, branded into your brain. Now, what was the opposite of a train wreck? That would be a badass moment. Bam. Now, what does David Goggins call badass moments? Cookies in the jar. And can badass moments, can we use badass moments as a benefit for our present moment? Yes. And then simultaneously, what about train wrecks? Can they get re-triggered? Yes. And so what does the acronym TEAR stand for? Thoughts create emotions, create actions, create results. And you'd be amazed how many people don't know any of these things. They're not aware of how their brain automates. They're not aware that their brain is always looking for what's wrong as opposed to what's right. So when you become more conscious, we're not acting out of survival because survival in, as a, at this moment, I don't have to worry in this hotel room about being killed. 
I can go to the gym after I get off of this recording and I don't have to worry about dying on the way to the gym. And, but my brain still has a tendency to look for what's wrong, but I can use my consciousness to focus on what's right because there is a lot that's right. And you want to have that ability, that consciousness to focus on what's right. When I went through my recent divorce, I made a goal to go through this divorce masterfully and I accomplished it. And I, I love my ex and I like my ex and my ex is a beautiful, beautiful being. And we harmoniously are pulling apart and unvelcroing ourselves. Velcro is another metaphor ourselves together but everything cycles we all have ups and we all have downs and one day I had the divorce goggles I call them now we've heard of rose-colored glasses and that's where you're in love with somebody and all you can see is the good in them rose-colored glasses well I call it the divorce goggles and you have these moments of being in the funk the moments of depression and I live in Florida at the time of this recording and I live in this on this gorgeous place on this lake, not like right on the lake, but next to the lake. And and I'm feeling a little bit in the funk because a little bit of, you know, grief. And and I said, wait a minute. Now, this is consciousness. Wait a minute, Michael. Wait a minute. You have your health, Michael, and your family members have their health and your dog has your health and look at how gorgeous that palm tree is look at that butterfly look at that gopher turtle oh my gosh look at that lake magnificent look at those beautiful cumulus clouds and so what i did is i used my consciousness to redirect my attention so that i could focus on everything that i have that's right they call it the law of familiarity And what happens is we take almost everything for granted. So sometimes we have to redirect our focus on what's right. Or if my boss triggers me with one bad thing with the catapult, I have to focus on the hundred good things that I did. Or before I go to bed for years, I would say, what did I do right today? As I went to bed every day, I'd say, what else did I do right today? I wrote the book called The Best Breakup of Your Life. I would say, what else did I do right today? What else did I do right today? What else did I do right today? Because if most people are focusing on what went wrong today before bed, I want to do the opposite. I want to focus on what I did right. And I want to teach myself to focus on what I did right. I remember looking at John Legend was the sexiest, sexiest man alive. And I said, eh, I don't see it. So what I did is I just said, okay, let's see if I can change my perspective of John Legend. I looked at him. I was like, okay, nice skin. Okay. Oh, nice chin. Wow. Wow. The dude is hot. You know, sexiest man alive. The point is, is you can recalibrate your perspective, but it requires consciousness. It requires consciousness to notice everything that's right amidst a sea of negativity. Because remember, if it bleeds, it leads. The news is going to throw the negative out there. I think there's a lot of negative out there. There's a lot of different agendas. So be aware of what you put into your brain. Be aware of where you're directing your focus. And be aware, is your brain running you or are you running your brain? So if you like this podcast, please subscribe. If you like this podcast, please share it. The reason why I created the change code is because I've had a lot of people asking me for years, for years, for years, for years, and I don't know how many people will benefit from this, but my hope is just that 
people will benefit from it because every person matters and you matter. How you do anything is how you do everything and everything matters and that means you. Thank you for taking the time to listen. Have a magnificent, magnificent day and focus on what you did right today. Bye-bye.